What's up, everyone? Welcome to this edition of Hiring University. I'm your host, John Beck. Today, we welcome Cynthia Moore, who serves in a couple of different roles, including Manager of Contingent Labor Sourcing at Allstate Insurance. She is also the co-founder of VMS Professionals, which is a non-for-profit national consortium comprised of end-user companies, no suppliers, networking to discuss best practices in the acquisition and management of contingent labor, which is really what we're going to talk about today. Cynthia joins us on Hiring University to talk about all things MSP and VMS. Not familiar with those acronyms, that's Master Service Provider and Vendor Management System. Cynthia will expand on that in a second. But first, Cynthia, welcome to Hiring University. Well, thank you very much, John. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Let's kick off our conversation by just having you share some background on the role you play at Allstate and in other capacities over your career and the association that you co-founded, VMS Professionals. Thank you. That would be great. So at Allstate, I'm responsible for a group that's called Spare Hands Network. At Allstate, that's all things contingent labor. We are roughly about a $500 million spend program, which includes contingent workers on an SOW and contingent workers not on an SOW. VMS Professionals, as you mentioned, is a national user group. We have about 300 members throughout the U.S. and Canada. We currently meet on a monthly basis. Due to COVID, we used to meet uh, in person in two cities in Chicago and Dallas. One of the benefits for us of COVID, if there is such a thing, is the fact that we're now meeting virtual. So we are able to get a greater number of attendees across the U.S. and Canada. The group was started back in 2001, and it really was uh, an idea of a, uh, a lady who owns a supplier company. And she said, hey, this MSP VMS thing is really coming to play and all of my customers are doing it differently, you all should talk and try and have some best practices. And so we kicked it off and and it grew. Um, uh, Prior to COVID, we had national conferences. It is a organization that is free to members and to be a member, you only have to be a buyer of contingent labor. So there's no fee for our conference and there's no fee for attending virtual sessions. It's a labor of love. You have seen a lot evolve over that period of time. You mentioned in 2001, a lot of things were changing. I think they still are. Yeah. Just to give our listeners a size of scope, a $500 million spend program is of significance. And if you think about a company like Allstate, I imagine you're seeing a little bit of everything. You have obviously people that are specific to the insurance industry, there's support personnel, there's technical personnel, really all ranges of skill sets and pay ranges, which all present a unique set of challenges. I'm sure your members, 300 strong, also come to the table with very different challenges across broader topics. Fair point? Yes, absolutely. And the, the members are companies that are all different sizes and shapes, and some have MSPs and some don't, and some have a VMS and some don't. And the the value of that, just like suppliers in a program, is everybody brings a different perspective. And so what will work for one company may not work from another, but I can always pick up a kernel of truth in the discussions. For our listeners, let's start by giving maybe just a brief history lesson. And I'm sure a lot of people are familiar and have exposure into either MSP programs or VMS-led programs. 
I'm, I represent a supplier who participates in dozens of these programs. I'll confess, not all programs and tools are created equally. Some are wonderfully run and add a lot of value, and others maybe not as much. Talk about the advent and the reason why this model was created and maybe the differences between the two today. Yeah, that's a long story. Long question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think really, you know, uh, my memory says GM or Ford is really the organization that kicked this stuff off. And back in the day, there was a company called Chimes that started. And the idea was, you know, especially if you think about, um, you know, an auto company and all of the people they need to bring in given peaks and valleys, you know, folks were bringing in contingent labor at a rapid pace. And so we all started tracking them with spreadsheets, Mm -hmm. which quite honestly, I did start that way when I came over to the the buy side. And it was just a nightmare. Many still do, unfortunately, but. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, I have a great deal of empathy for those folks. They're the tools really were, how do we onboard the right person at the right time at the right price, which quite honestly is, is spare hands logo at Allstate. And, and so companies like Field Glass and Beeline emerged in the marketplace back in 2000, 2001, 2002. And it really was that perfect solution to say, I got to fill a job. It's not FTE. So let's find a way to do that. And there were tons of, and still are, um, a good number of staffing suppliers uh, in the market to fill them. Well, then it's, it's a matter of, you know, it's that build versus buy scenario. Do I manage it internally or do I bring somebody else in to do that for me? And, and that's where managed services organizations started. Even Chimes used to manage their own application. Beeline managed their own application. When I first started working with Beeline, Pontoon didn't exist. Beeline was both the MSP and the tool, and they managed it. And fast forward to today, it's quite honestly, it feels like a revolving door is, or you could call it squeeze the balloon, Hmm. It is companies who have had MSPs for years are now looking at, do I take it to market? Do I bring it in-house? And they're doing that build versus buy study. And companies that have an MSP are bringing it in-house, companies that didn't are taking it outsourced. And I think that covers anything that is outsourced in any company is they look at where those dollars are spent and you look at savings. And then 18 months later, they go, well, we insourced this. We have all these employees doing it. Maybe we should reduce our employees and outsource functions. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is is core versus context for a lot of these companies. How core is it to my business to own this piece and manage it myself? I'm relatively new compared to you to the staffing industry. As I see it, we went from a free-for-all market-driven economy where there was a lot of bad behaviors as a result of that, right? Everyone had their favorite supplier and markups were out of control. And that was one of the primary reasons or one of the, the drivers for an MSP model the result of that, I think there there's some negatives and some positives. The negatives, certainly the disintermediation between hiring manager and supplier, and in some cases, even applicant. Um, and especially when you're dealing with 
higher skilled folks, that relationship and conversation and feedback loop is, is really imperative. Is it fair to say that when MSPs and, and tools were introduced, and by the way, for purposes of this discussion, I'm going to lump the two in together. We'll call them MSP and BMS just to simplify. But is it fair to say that the pendulum maybe swung too far and at the time it is now starting to swing back, which is why more companies are saying, hmm, maybe there's a better way that fits our our company better and we need the tool. Is that what you see happening today? Uh, yeah, John, I think you're spot on is, is, you know, when I think back, again, e- even prior to when I was on the buy side, I was on the supply side and we didn't have VMS and MSP things and, and you know, profit margins were really, really, really nice. <laughs> Um, and then Y2K hit and the world went a little crazy and, and fast forward to being on the buy side, it was all about cost savings when MSPs came in the marketplace. And so that was what they sold as the, the biggest benefit is we'll have rate cards and we'll beat up the suppliers. And, and I remember for years when you know our our VMS group would get together, it was this constant let's beat up the suppliers about the head and shoulders, and everything was the supplier fault. <laughs> and and what I've seen in the last really, I'm gonna say 18 months, is this discussion has shifted. It's not about cost savings, it's about quality and now the stakeholder that we're all beating about the head and shoulders is our hiring managers. Hey, you're not responding faster. No, we can't fill that job at that price. That's ridiculous. The talent shortage exists. And the discussions we're all having is how do we improve user experience and how do we improve the quality of the folks we're bringing in? And also you bring in that overused term of total talent management or total talent strategy. And that's what the MSPs, the good ones, are really, they need to sell, as well as you bring diversity into that discussion. And those are the things, the topics that are more covered today, both in all state and in the conversations we're having with our, in the VMS professionals group. I want to come back to diversity because I have, that's, I think, a longer conversation. Let me ask you, because the role of the MSP, and and I appreciate your comments around managing those hiring managers, whose responsibility is it, in your opinion, to train and educate those folks on so many different things, right? There's compensation metrics, there's hiring tactics, let's be honest, in terms of response times and feedback. We always assume that just because somebody's labeled as a hiring manager, they know what they're doing, which is a lot of times is not the case. <laughs> right. Um, wh- whose role is that or, or should it be? If you have a true outsourced MSP, who are the subject matter experts? I'm going to answer the question. I think it's the MSP's role. If that's the role that they're purporting to play. Is that fair to them or is it hard to do when you don't know the culture and the history of the company? Um, so I don't think that's fair. I think it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. And and if you have an MSP and you are basically throwing everything over the fence to them and making them responsible for everything and not having some sort of partnership and a defined escalation process in order to get buy-in to 
what your program rules are, assuming your program rules are realistic, it, it's got to be a partnership. And, and I know that it works really well at all state. And I'm not just saying that our suppliers say that part of me goes, are they just, excuse the expression, are they just sucking up and saying our MSP is fabulous? And I'm going to say no, because we've brought in new suppliers who who give the same story because we set goals as a program together with our MSP. We set goals and that I'm held accountable and will impact my bonus of things like how to improve time to fill. And then if we have a problem, what are the steps in that process and where exactly is the problem and how can we fix it? And and that's a big component, feedback percentage. How many companies are tracking the feedback percentage they get on resumes submitted and interviews completed and not just the drop down and field glass or their VMS tool, because many times those drop downs are does not fit. Well, what's that do for a recruiter? Culture, not, not a culture fit. Right? <laughs> yeah. And even saying that in today's world is, is not right. And yeah. so you've got to have detailed drop downs and detailed feedback. And so we as a program, when I came in almost six years ago, we I asked for, give, tell me what our feedback percentage. And it was under 30%. And it was only the drop down hmm. and the drop downs were bad. Yeah. Today we're sitting at 89% and out of that 70% has additional details. It's not just the drop down. And we continually try and improve that because that's what makes the program successful. So it's not just the MSP that's responsible for everything. It has to be a, a collaboration to be successful. And that collaboration takes work, which I think is what is often overlooked because things have been done a certain way for so long, right? Everyone expects that there's going to be metrics on that quarterly scorecard, and that's fine, and those are important, but the work begins when you try to tell or understand the story behind the metrics that are showing up. And that's that collaboration and communication has to be bi-directional and there's multiple parties involved. It's not, it's MSP, it's it's core, it's the core business and their hiring managers, it's supplier and suppliers. I mean, having enough trust in a program to share feedback amongst your peers and competitors is unique. We love to do that because we're going to learn something and hopefully take it back and make us better. And that's good for everyone. Uh, that always doesn't happen, but but that those are the best programs that we're in. It really the least common denominator is there's just constant communication and not just here's your scorecard, here's your numbers, go get it done. Yeah, it it, it does. It, it has to be all stakeholders involved and and including the contractor themselves. That's right. I mean, what's their experience because that impacts our brand. I would hate to go on the glass door and see a contingent worker who posted something that was about our process that was bad, that reflects on, on me and our program, not just the MSP, and it, and it impacts Allstate for anybody else that might want to come into the program. Yeah, 100%. Have you seen in your conversations, Allstate and, and within VMS professionals, is, is gig economy 
be showing up on the radar and how people are having to address that now? Yeah, it is. It's showing up in a couple of different ways. And, and it really depends, I think, on the industry. I know we have our own gig thing going for roadside assistance. And that doesn't fall necessarily under our spare hands network. We have visibility into what they're doing just to make sure it aligns to things like labor laws and the gotchas that can come with the gig economy. I don't see it as much in things like bidding out little bodies of work in the marketplace. It it doesn't seem as like it's grown as much as, as you would expect it to. But I, I think it will continue to grow. I think with all the things that have happened in the in the legal realm of that, given changes in administration back and forth, I guess for, for people like me, it's like, which direction is the wind blowing and where can I mitigate risks? Um, so I think it's going to grow. It's just not it's just not as prevalent as it it seems people are talking about. Yeah. I talk about a pendulum swinging back and forth. That's, we could probably do a whole nother hour on that. Uh, <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll leave it there for now. One of, if not the hottest topics in our industry today, and you touched on it is diversity and inclusion as the system of record with analytics and data and arbitration, the MSP VMS programs have the ability and hopefully the interest in promoting DEI. I know you've done a lot of work at Allstate there and maybe some other folks that are, are leading and maybe where we have some work to do as an industry. Yeah, I think the so at, at Allstate, I'm really proud of the program that we've built. Um, when I came into Allstate, the, the program was considered an award-winning program from a diversity standpoint. We were sitting at roughly 23% supplier diversity spend. Diversity inclusion has always been really important to me. And so I set first a, a private personal goal to get our program to 50% within three years. Two years in, we hit 50% and I made it a public goal. So now I'm held accountable to that from a performance (laughs) standpoint. It it took time to make that pendulum swing. We weren't about just removing a a non-diverse supplier and putting in a diverse supplier. We still had to tie it to the things that were important from a performance standpoint. So it was a matter of building the pipeline of suppliers to bring the right ones in who could be successful and then helping them be successful. Our goals in, in 2021 are our minimum of 55% with a stretch goal of 65%. And I think we'll hit at our target. I think the next evolution that you're seeing, which is a huge topic of discussion is the diversity of the contingents brought into the program. And and lots of companies like ours are in a rush to try and figure out, since we hire a good percent of the folks that come in through the staff aug side of our program, we want to make sure we've got a diversity of individuals that are being engaged. And so we are, we've engaged our MSP and they are beginning to collect that data. And we'll get our first report next quarter of what's the diversity of the contingents we're engaging. We're going to use that as a discussion point. Mm -hmm. Again, there's no 
taking the supplier and whipping about the head and shoulders with a wet noodle. It's it's really, it, are you bringing in a diverse set of folks that we're engaging? Because I'm not looking at the candidate. I'm looking at the folks we're engaging. And do I have a problem with a supplier who's not embracing diversity? Or do I have a problem with a all state manager who's not embracing diversity. And what's the root cause and how do we take care of that? I think that the where the challenges are is every company is taking a different approach. Some companies are doing it right in their VMS. They're tracking the diversity again on a voluntary basis of the candidates. And some legal firms are going, oh, don't do that. And others are going, oh, it's okay to do that. So until there's really hardcore cases, I think we all have to follow the advice of our own legal counsel. But in the discussions we're having in VMS professionals, it's all over the board on how people are doing it. There isn't a standard, which it would be nice if there was. There's no standard. And I agree. A lot of people are paralyzed, unfortunately, by the legal aspect of this. A lot of people are checking the proverbial box. What what methods are you employing to, to promote and find candidates to help with diversity hiring? What are your policies? How do you think about it? Where do you look? How do you train your people? That's the discussion that we need to have. And congratulations, by the way, on your diversity spend. And that's a piece of it and important. And I don't participate that for our listeners. I'm middle-aged, bald, white guy. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's a piece of it because there's awareness. But there's just so much more there. And it's unfortunate that the legal side of the political side has slowed this down. Uh, if there was more open discourse and agreement based on the data, which there's no shortage of data out there, we'd be so much farther along. But there's a lot of work to be done for sure. Let me ask you a selfish question, and I'm going to do this on behalf of of my fellow suppliers. I am certain you get bombarded daily from people that are trying to get your attention and into your program. If I am a supplier, regardless of size or tenure or stature, what are the best ways to get in touch with you or your attention of procurement and the people running those programs? And maybe I'd love to hear some anecdotals of the craziest things that you've seen, because I've heard a few of them myself. I am different than my peers, primarily because I spent half of my career on the supplier side. And so I know the struggle. (laughs) I know the struggle. I used to make those cold calls. What is shocking to me is the kickoff to those cold calls that I did 20 some years ago. I'm getting those same kickoff calls from suppliers today. And it's not any different, which is a surprise. For me, when a supplier reaches out to me in LinkedIn or an email, we make it a point to have an introductory call with every supplier that reaches out. I do between two and four of those every single Friday. It's a 30-minute one-time call. And the emphasis is it's a one-time call. And we explain our program. We say how it's been this way since 2016. It works. Here's why it works. And we, the call, who we spoke to, when we spoke to, how they got in touch with them, with the, with us. We also have a database of folks that we send them to fill out a database, which is used by all of procurement if we want to engage 
a new supplier. It's a way to find a profile on them. I'm always open because I think I can learn something from a supplier. I'm hopeful to be able to learn something in that 30 minutes that something new happening in the industry, something innovative that a supplier is doing that I might look for when I'm looking for new suppliers. I will say most of my peers will ignore any of those reach outs because they just don't have the time for it or it's not a priority for them or they don't see the value in it. The constant torturing din of emails every month or every quarter and a a buyer isn't responding, stop it. It's like the definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. The, The things that surprise me, in addition to what I've said is, I get emails that said, we'd like to do business with all, A-L-L, space, (laughs) capital S-T-A-T-E. It's like, you don't even know my company name. And and then I, I will get on a call with a supplier and then they'll, they've not done any research. Yeah, I mean, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, I always will be. And it has out there my background and somebody will start their, you know, intro call with, well, we work in the MSP space and it stands for managed service provider. So they treat me like a two-year-old. Right. You got to do the research before you call and and, and just prep for that call. And then the, the last thing I'll mention is, for me, when I've had that call, we've said it's once and done. I, I make it clear. Don't email me every quarter. Don't email me because if you do, I guarantee you, you won't get our RFI because no. you, what you've told me is you don't listen. You can't follow instructions and you don't have a good CRM that has a history of what that conversation was. And we get emails every month or every quarter from somebody new, from this supplier that says, oh, I'm the new sales rep. We'd like to have an intro call. And it's like, we did that already. Don't you have it documented? Right. That's good advice. I've sat on the other side and and purchased quite a lot over the years and appreciate the preparation, the research. The other trend that is really encouraging to me that we've seen a couple of times of late, really just this last year, uh, as we've been onboarded into new programs is they've really honed in on vertical segmentation within for us, we're an IT staffing provider creative as well, but even within IT staffing, really challenging us, like, what are you really good at? And yes. fortunately, we know what we're really good at. I don't think a lot of staffing firms do. They, they try to do a little bit of everything and that's fine. But if you had to pick one role or one segment, what is it? And I think that's a good thing. I'd rather start narrowly in a new account to to have some success with what I'm good at and earn the right to expand and do more and prove my worth because it's setting me up for success as opposed to somebody saying, great, you're in. And we get flooded with a bunch of wrecks and half of them, we don't have any domain experience or resources or otherwise. So that's a trend that I, I think we're going to continue to see. And that's a positive. I don't know if it's 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 practical across every segment of staffing, but certainly within IT, with all the specializations that's happening there, I think that's a really encouraging trend. Yeah, I think, 
One other comment I'd like to make is we talked about collaboration with suppliers and, and suppliers are platinum to a buyer. And if the buyer doesn't recognize that, then that's a problem because my program's not successful without that supply base. And it has to be collaborative for a new supplier um, trying to get into a program. I, I think you're spot on. Know what you're really good at and be able to do your elevator pitch. Yeah. And, and know what's what makes you different. Yeah, no, that's good advice. Cynthia, every guest who comes on the show gets this question. You've already touched on a few times your experiences over your career, but let's imagine that I created that Wayback Machine and was able to put you in there to when you first started your career and your choice, whether you want to do it coming out of college or staffing or your, your decision, what one piece of advice do you share with young Cynthia based on the experiences and what you've, what you know now? It's kind of tough to narrow it down to one. Um, and, and I'll say, I don't have any regrets. Uh, That's a good start. Um, yeah. But, Advice I'd give the Cynthia of 30 whatever years ago would be write more down. There's a couple of things. I can't narrow it to one. So write document more things, write articles early in your life. And I would say that the thing that stood out the most for me that I look back on is get over your title phobia early. When I used to meet with a VP, like I would sweat and shake. And now I know they put their pants on the same way I do. And titles don't matter. I mean, there's a respect level, but that, you know, that, that's a big deal. And then the last thing would be use data. I didn't use data. I used thoughts and feelings and gut instinct, which still drove me to success, but data really tells the story. Especially in this day and age. It's yes. so easy to access and munge and analyze. There's so many different options. I, and I love, by the way, your title phobia. I think that works in the other direction too. I think a lot of people as they're building their careers sometimes have so much emphasis on being promoted and getting the title next to their name. And that's fine. And I understand that compensation in a lot of cases is tied to that. I always counsel those folks. It's really about the work that you're doing. The titles will come, do the work and take on the challenges or the projects to get your head a little bit underwater to learn new skills. And I made that mistake in my career. I wanted to become a VP and I was a VP probably when I wasn't ready to be. Yep. And I had a false portfolio of things that I thought were important, but maybe weren't going to give me the best experience to set me up for the next job. So I, I think that's, that's really, really shrewd advice. Yeah. If you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And I have loved what I've done every step along the way. You are very fortunate. Cynthia, before we go, tell our listeners the best way to connect with you or if they're interested in VMS professionals or looking to participate, how should they, they get in touch with you? And by the way, VMS professionals, again, no suppliers. I tested it. I applied on the website. I got a very polite message back. Um, how can our how can our listeners find you if they qualify? Sure. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. As I said, I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, you can also reach me through um, my VMS email, which is Cynthia.more at vmsprofessionals.com. 
Terrific. Thank you for making the time to chat with us. Continued success at Allstate. That's all one word, by the way. And VMS professionals, for our listeners, as always, please keep the faith, keep grinding, keep safe. And we will see you next time on Hiring University. Thank you, Cynthia. Thanks, John.